Again, good morning, everybody. If you've got your Bibles, let's open to Genesis chapter 1. We're looking at a big chunk of the creation account uh, this morning, uh, verses 1 through 26. Last week, we covered the first four verses just to kind of introduce us to the book of Genesis. Uh, And today, we're going to be looking at uh, the six days of creation, uh, Genesis 1 through verse 26. Uh, If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. The text is printed for you in the bulletin. Or if you prefer neither, that's okay too. Just sit back and listen. Um, A couple things on the front end, uh, housekeeping-wise. Two mistakes I made last week in uh, in delivering the sermon. One uh, was this. I I made a reference to two church members who make the bread. Uh, I said it was, you know, Jennifer and Trey. I was wrong. It was Jennifer and Boyd. So I want to give credit where credit is due. Uh, they have been making our, our communion bread for us on Sunday mornings. So, Boyd, that was my bad. Uh, thank you for your, uh, your work. Uh, the second was this. If I ever give like an illustration or a quote that's not mine, I like to say at the very least, you know, another pastor said or another scholar said, um, just, you know, not attributing it to, to myself or my creative idea. And I did not do that last week uh, with an illustration. If you remember the illustration about the BMW, that I made about creating and recreating. That was not something I came up with. That was actually um, an illustration that a professor of mine, Anthony Bradley, in in seminary used to make uh, on a regular basis. And so I I literally stole that from him. Uh, That was one of his ideas. Uh, I'm pretty sure he came up with that. So I just wanted to attribute that uh, to him. Um, I like to do that in sermons. I I don't have any unique ideas myself. I steal a lot of things from other people. They're a lot smarter than me. Um, just like to give credit uh, where it's due. Uh, that being said, uh, let's stand for the reading of God's Word this morning. This is Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And since it's a little bit bigger uh, text, I'm going to try to read it a little faster than usual. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters, and let it separate the waters from the waters. And God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse from the waters that were above the expanse, and it was so. And God called the expanse heaven, and there was evening and there was morning the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. God called the dry land earth, and the waters that were gathered together he called seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. The earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening, and there was morning the third day. And God said, let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days, and years, and let them be lights in the expanse of the heavens to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made the two great, greater, excuse me, the two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night and the stars. 
And God set them in the expanse of the heavens to give light on the earth, to rule over the day and over the night, and to separate the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and there was evening and there was morning, the fourth day. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves, with which the waters swarm according to their kinds, and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening, and there was morning, the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things, and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds, and the livestock according to their kinds, and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. It was, a, it was a couple years ago, and if you're on any form of social media, you, you probably clicked on this video uh, to watch it. And the name of the video uh, was this, How Wolves Changed Rivers. How Wolves Changed Rivers. It was about a five, seven-minute little documentary video on how the introduction of wolves into Yellowstone Park back in 1995 uh, didn't just change the ecosystem. It changed the geography of the park, how, how one small little change had such drastic and major change uh, within the park, how something so small had such major change uh, in the park. Here's how the video starts. Here's the problem. A lot of the small uh, shrubbery, um, yes, you're thinking of movie references when I say that word. I'm thinking of it too. Um, these, these deer and the elk population um, were, were decimating the ground vegetation, uh, the shrubs, the small plants that made berries. Um, the, the deer and elk population was just, was just through the roof, and rangers were, were, were trying every method they could think of to help limit the population, but they couldn't stop it. And they were basically watching Yellowstone being eaten away. So, they had a brilliant idea, which sounds like there was a bunch of nine-year-olds in a room that said, hey, let's, let's bring wolves in. <laughs> the, natural, <laughs> you know, the natural remedy here is, is wolves. Let's bring those into the park. But that's exactly what they did because the natural enemy of deer and elk are wolves. And it didn't take much time. Uh, not only were um, you know, the deer populations reduced to a manageable level, but even the migrating pattern of, of the deer uh, began to change. Uh, there were a number of benefits, uh, secondary causes that happened in the park because of the introduction of wolves uh, into this, this area. Here's, uh, here's a few. Uh, vegetation began to return to riverbanks and into kind of bald uh, and unproductive areas. And now that the berries were beginning to reappear on the shrubs and the bushes, it brought back in migratory and songbirds. Uh, back in, in, into the area. 
the height of trees quintupled in six years within the park. Uh, the wolves ended up displacing the coyotes, and, you know, if you've watched a nature film or two, you know, coyotes love to chase and eat rabbits uh, and, and mice, and so with the coyotes gone, now the rabbits and the mice uh, became prolific. And so what happened because of that is all the uh, predatory birds started moving back into the park, the bald eagles and the smaller predatory birds. Uh, Riverbanks became now more stable uh, because there were, you know, shrubs and root structures that was going to hold the soil in place, kind of preventing erosion. Uh, all of these benefits, all of these good things that began happening in the park for, for one small addition, for one small change, right? And that was the introduction of wolves. Uh, it's a fascinating video. If you have time this afternoon, look it up. But when you think about this, uh, with this, this particular event that happened in Yellowstone, we can kind of walk away with, with one of two responses. One response is this. Isn't man great? You know, we found a problem, and the solution wasn't apparent, uh, but look what we did to fix this problem. That's one, that's one way to look at it. The other is, is, is this, is that this story is just another vivid example of God's intended order and purpose in all of his creation. This is just one more vivid illustration of God's providence, beauty, care, and order in this world that he's made. Two different perspectives. One focuses on man, the other focuses on, on God. Again, remember the context in which Genesis was written. This is written to the people of God in the early part of Exodus, right? They're coming out of 400 years of slavery. This is where Moses begins his account to this people who have lost their identity, who need to be reprogrammed, who need to be reminded of who you are. We're going to start with the bigness, and we're going to start with the order. We're going to start with the beauty of God himself. That's where the story uh, begins. So two points this morning, if you're following along. We're going to look at the order of God's creation and then the purpose of his creation, the order and the purpose. First, the order. Uh, I'm the guy that when I go to the grocery store for a few things, um, I've got long arms, I've got big hands. Uh, I, I say to myself, I'm just grabbing a few things, I don't need a basket. So about 10 or 11 items in, you know, I'm doing this little number, and you know, the, the, the grocery store attendant's like, do you need a basket? I'm like, yeah, I, I need a basket. So I get the basket, and then, you know, I'm, I'm picking up a couple extra things. You know, if you're holding like a gallon of ice cream, that makes your hand really cold. So you're, you're, you've got four fingers kind of holding, you know, a gallon of ice cream, and then a finger wrapped around the, you know, the gallon of milk, and this, this left hand's going numb. And then the guy comes back by again, he's like, do you need a buggy? It's like, yeah, I probably need a buggy. At, th at this point, I can't feel my left hand. I'm that guy. I go in kind of focused on the contents and not so much focusing on the container. The contents come first, the container comes last. When we, when we look at, this, at this, this pattern in creation, God does the exact opposite. And I, I want you to see that. He doesn't, he doesn't start with the contents and then the containers. He starts with the container first. And then he fills that container with his creation. Um, there, there's a pattern here, and stick with me. The first three days of creation are the containers. The last three days of creation are the contents of those um, containers, right? Uh, day one, 
is a container. Day four tells you what God puts in it. Day two is a container. Day five tells you what God puts in it. You, you see the pattern here through days, you know, one through six. Let's go along each one by one. Go back to verse one and verse two. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth, and it was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day. He called the darkness night. So we have this this creation of light and darkness on day one. And then what happens in day four? What does he fill in with the light and with the dark? He makes the sun. He makes the moon and the stars. Do you see the container, and then do you see the contents on day one and day four? Jump down to day two. What does he make on day two? He makes the waters, and then he makes the skies. Well, if that's the container, what are the contents? Naturally, on day five, he makes the fish, and then he makes the birds, the things that go in the water, and the things that fly in the sky. On day three, he makes the land He makes the vegetation. He makes the trees. He makes the earth, the ground. And then what does he do on day six? If that was the container, day six are the contents. He makes the animals, and he makes man. Um, Very patterned, very ordered, and very deliberate. Do you see the pattern between days one through three and four through six, the container, and then the content? It doesn't stop there. Uh, there's, uh, there's almost, and, and you know, a- another writer kind of described it this way, he calls this, this creation that, that God has made liturgical. Uh, in other words, there's, there's an order and a pattern and a rhythm to creation, not just in the creation itself, but how this creation is supposed to work amongst itself. So there's, there, there's a pattern here, a harmony, a beauty, right? Uh, look back at verse... God called the light day, and He called the darkness night, and there was evening, and there was morning the first day. What do we have here for the first time? We have the first introduction of a day. Part of it is going to be light and exposed, and then another part of it is going to be dark. And um, as many of of you know, I, I love trees. I love plants. I have a number of, of citrus trees in my garage right now, and you might be asking, how can you put, you know, citrus trees in your garage? It's because they have grow lights. Uh, if the garage doors are open and people walk by, you know, they kind of tilt their head sideways and like, what's that guy growing in his garage? It's citrus, I promise. <laughs> I'm sure that's not the first time the police have heard that. <laughs> I swear it's citrus. Um, and, and some of you have asked, well, you know, do you leave, leave the lights on, you know, all the time? because they're in the garage, and, and actually the answer to that is no. Um, even trees, by design, um, they, they, they can't withstand light 24 hours a day. They're not built that way. They need a break from photosynthesis. They need a break from the process uh, of converting, you know, carbon dioxide into oxygen and making sugar and, and growing blossoms and fruit. Even trees need a break. They need darkness, they don't need 24-hour light. And, and what the writer here, Moses, is, is trying to communicate is not, there's not just an order and a pattern in the first six days, but there's this, this liturgy um, of, of light and dark, of days and seasons and years that God has created on purpose. I mean, like I said in the prayer this morning, we're right in the middle of another one. Everything is brown. Everything is crunchy. 
Everything is not pretty outside, but very soon, within the next six weeks, what are we going to see? We're going to see life. We're going to see green. We're going to see color, and we're going to smell spring, and it's going to pollinate our cars, right? And, you know, that dormant grass that's been asleep for so long, it's going to wake back up. And the trees, which were so pretty back in, in October, and then they lost their leaves that have been crunchy underneath our feet for the last three months, they're going to, they're going to grow new leaves. And everything's going to come back to life. Just as in days there are cycles, there are seasons that God has created and made this world with uh, to show us that there's order, there's harmony, there's a liturgy uh, to creation. It doesn't stop there. We actually get a hint here in the first six days of creation that the creation process does not stop after day six. Actually, creation goes on recreating. Did you notice that? Look at verse 11 and verse 12. And God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing much fruit in which is their seed, each according to its kind, on the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth vegetation, plants yielding seed according to their own kinds, and trees bearing fruit in which is their seed according to their kind. And God saw that it was good. So not only did God create trees, but he created trees in such a way that they are meant to reproduce and recreate themselves in this world in which God has made, right? We all know that. The seeds fall. The seeds drop. They go into the soil, and they're fertilized, and they grow new trees. Creation doesn't stop after day six. It keeps creating. Animals reproduce. Humans reproduce. Trees and vegetation reproduce. We had a professor in seminary uh, in our homiletics, which is like our preaching courses. Uh, He used to sit in the back with his arms folded, and he was famous for saying, so what? So what? That's great. There's a pattern, you know, in in creation. Um, There's a liturgy to creation. There's there's this, you know, recreating and and this perpetuation that's in creation. Yes, so what? That's all neat. What does that mean for us? Um, Another professor, I had uh, a story uh, in college. We were on a mission trip to Uganda, and we had about a, you know, a 10-hour layover in London. So we're all on the tube, and we're, you know, going all over the city trying to, you know, squeeze in as much as we possibly could on this trip. And I was with this professor. uh, His name, we call him Dr. K. Uh, His last name is Krabendam. He's from the Netherlands, and he dwarfs me. He's about another three, four inches taller than me. Um, we called him the Crabdominal Snowman because he was so tall. Um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, but we're on, the, we're on the subway, and he kind of makes eyes with this, you know, this guy kind of sitting by himself down at the end of the tube. And so he gets up and he walks over, and you know, Dr. K is not shy in any sense of the word. And he sits down, and he has this private conversation with him for about ten minutes. And then we get to our stop, and we all get off, and we said, you know, Dr. K, what were you talking to him about? And he said, well, I'll tell you. Um, he said I, I said, I asked this gentleman if he believed in God. I'm saying, okay, well, what did he say? He said, his response was, uh, no, um, I don't believe in God. I'm an atheist. And so then we're like, okay, well, what did you, how did you respond to that? And he said, well, you know, I, I took him to, to Romans chapter 1, and I said, um, you know, there really is no such thing as atheism, right? He said, you're a truth suppressor rather direct. And this young man was like, I don't, I don't understand. And, you know, biblically speaking, 
you know, what Dr. K was saying, there's really, there's no such thing as, as atheism. Can I tell you why? And this young man said, well, sure. So he took him to Romans chapter 1, verse 20, and here's what Paul says at, at his introduction uh, to this letter to Romans. He says to this church, for his being God's invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. And this is Paul. This is not Dr. K. This is Paul. Paul says, so that they are without excuse. Without excuse. And so he said, that's why I'm not calling you an atheist. That's why I'm calling you a truth suppressor. When you look at the patterns, when you look at what God has made, when you really begin to focus on it and understand it and see the intricate details that go into creation and it being sustained, you can't help but get to the bottom and go, something had to make this. Something had to create it. We couldn't put this together. It's one thing to make all things, but it's another thing to make all things that work together in harmony, in fellowship, and in life, and in goodness. So he said, you really, there's no such thing as, as, as atheism. You're just suppressing the truth that God has shown you in his creation. That's what we're supposed to see. We're supposed to see his divine nature. We're supposed to see his power. We're supposed to see God as the creator of all things. Well, that's the order of creation. But what's the purpose of God's order? What's the purpose of his creation? Um, you know, if we're, if we're corresponding with people these days, and if we want to emphasize something in written correspondence, what do we do? Here's typically how we correspond with someone to say, hey, I want you to pay attention. We'll put letters in all cap. We'll make letters bold. And sometimes we'll put a period in between each word to say, stop. Pay attention to every word that's about to happen. What I'm about to say is very, very important to me, right? Um, because this was written tradition. This was written from Moses to the people of God. And, and we're not there, um, you know, we, we, can't, we can't see, you know, Moses, you know, telling the story with inflection. He wrote it down. But there's several literary devices here that were very, very common in Moses' time to say, stop. They're literary devices to say, pay attention to what's happening here. He's breaking with particular cycles to go, do you see how important this is for you and for us to understand and for us uh, to see. And here's what he wants us to see, and then let me explain it. Let me work backwards. The primary purpose of creation, in other words, the zenith, the peak of the six creation days is day six in the creation of man. Now, that sounds very self-serving, doesn't it? That sounds a very man-centered way of reading this, but let me show you what, why that's Moses' uh, inflection and his design here as well as he was, you know, writing this under God's influence. Uh, the first is in verse 26. For the first five days of creation, God said, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be, let there be. And then suddenly in verse 26, notice how it changes. Then God said, let us now, that's a literary device to say, we've just made a, a major break uh, in the narrative in the story here. In other words, so what's coming next, you really need to pay attention to. 
you really need to focus on. Let, let there be, let there be, and then let us make. What we're supposed to see here um, in, in God's purpose of creation is that man, if man is the center of creation, that there's this hierarchy. That there are these degrees, there are these separations between what is happening on day six and with the other six. Think about it this way. Zoom out for a moment. Zoom out of this story and out of this account. The story begins with God. And when people ask the question, you know, where do we see, you know, God in three persons in Scripture, we can actually take them to Genesis, right? Who is the us that God is talking to here or about here in this passage? It's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And because we have the rest of the Scriptures, we know that Jesus was very, very present and active in the creation of the world, both Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And what he said on day six was, let us make man in our image. So grammatically and in the literature, everything changes. But notice, nothing else in creation is given this designation. All that God has made, he said, is, is very, very good. But nothing is made in the image of God except for man. And this communicates uh, a couple of things to us. It, what it kind of infers to us as readers is this idea of rule and dominion. Um, they were not put here haphazardly. If we're made in His image, and God is King and Lord over all of creation, and if we're made in His image, then we're supposed to do the same thing that He does to a degree. If He rules, we rule. If He's King, He's calling us to be His agents here as kings as well. Verse 16 Notice how this, this hierarchy is kind of hinted at in verse 16. And God made the two great lights, the greater light to what? To rule the day. And then the lesser light, being the moon, to rule the night. So already you have this idea, this, this precedent of, of there's going to be these, these agents, uh, these two things that are going to rule the day and the night, the sun and the moon. But again, to separate it and to make it more distinct and more special, and Moses doesn't use the word rule, in verse 26, he gives it a more powerful word, this, this, this word dominion. The second part of verse 26, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So just as the sun and the moon rule the day and the night, so man who is created in the image of God, both male and female, are going to rule over everything. Day six is going to trump day one through day five. They're going to rule and have dominion over everything. There's a hierarchy in God's creation. If you just collect the amount of verses that go into the creation of man and the amount of verses that go into the creation of the world, days one through five, and you were to put that on a scale, um, there's a lot more text given to the creation of man than the creation of the rest of the world. And again, what, what the Lord is doing here through Moses is, is saying this. Um, and maybe you've heard this before in, in conversations with people. Well, we're all God's creatures. Well, yeah, we're all God's creatures. The other extreme is, is this. Well, no, we're just a blob of cells. That's all we are. We're just a collection of randomly assembled cells. And what God here is saying through Moses' passage is, is no. Mankind is, is different than the animals. Mankind is different than the trees, than the creation, the light 
and the darkness. Why? Because, because man himself is created in God's image. Yes, we're all God's creatures, but guess what? Man is different. He's separate. He's special. And not just a collection of cells. If, if, if animals could talk in the Garden of Eden, and one did, but if they could all talk in the Garden of Eden, I wonder if animals would say, as they're watching Adam and Eve tend, rule, and, and govern the earth before Genesis 3, I wonder if the animals would say, oh, they remind us of God and how they're tending and caring. You know, to put it another way and to kind of work backwards, to know that God is here on this earth, God made human beings. Think about that for a second. To know that God is here on this earth, that God is ruling in heaven, God made man. And God put him on this earth to rule, to reign, have dominion, and subdue. Now, do we do that perfectly? Uh, do we do that like God? No. We abuse the earth. We abuse our power. We're fraught with sin. Stay tuned. That's next week as we talk about the image of God. But to show that God cares about this earth and that, that God is going to rule this earth with people, alongside people, through his agents, God made man in his image and he put him on this earth. Here's what that means uh, for us. Again, here's the so what. What does that mean? Think about it this way. Sometimes what we communicate in the gospel and in Christianity is that if you want God to value you, uh, you need to be saved, and you need to be rescued, and you need to repent of your sins. And if you do, then God treasures you, and then God values you, then he calls you the apple of his eye. And there's nothing biblical about that pattern. Because notice who gets the title uh, in this passage of being image bearers. Is it just Christians? Who gets the title of image bearer? Everybody. Everybody that comes after Adam and Eve, believing or non-believing, full of faith, absent of faith. Who has the value of God already placed upon them and in them from the day of creation? Everyone. And so if you're here this morning, and, you know, I'm not poking holes at you if you would say you're an atheist. Um, that, that's not a truth I want to use a, a hammer with. But instead, what I, what, I want, what I want you to hear this morning is this, is that, you know, before belief, before conversion, before true change in the heart, God values you, and He has put His image into you. Why? Because you're to be his agent here on this earth to rule, have dominion, and subdue it, to enjoy it, and to have fellowship with God. You already have value. You're already supposed to be a king of creation, a queen of creation. So in a sense, you already have value. God looks at you and calls you good. But it's what's inside of you is that it's broken. We've used that authority. We've used that dominion for our own purposes, for our own gain, for our own selfish desires. And that's what he wants to change. Not your value. He wants to change your heart, your perspective, your kingdom. That's the good news for you. Um, let me end with this. You know, if, if you're in the content-creating world, if you're an artist, if you are a writer, if you have to create content on a regular basis like I do, uh, what's very, very difficult is just getting started. 
starting with something, starting that, that first draft of the sermon. It's, you know, getting that, that blank canvas and, and making the first stroke. Um, it's writing that, that first line. Um, a lot of writers talk about entering the chaos of creating, right? It's that getting started and not knowing where everything's going to go. It's hard. It's hard to do that. Uh, when you look at the story, and particularly back in, in chapter 1, verse 1, we get a sense of that chaos. Look back at the text. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void. And there was darkness over the face of the deep. I, I can't tell you how much writing has gone in to understand in Hebrew what those words mean, form, without form and void. In Hebrew, it's tohu vabohu. What, is, what does that mean? And any time those two words are used in the Old Testament, it's meant to communicate land that's uninhabitable and unfarmable. It's, it's chaos. And here's why I think that's important. Remember who this, this narrative, this story, this prose was written to. It was written to a people who are coming out of Egypt they're coming out of slavery for the last 400 years, and they're about to enter 40 years of what? Of wandering in an area that was uninhabitable and unfarmable. And so, I mean, verse 2, the second verse in, in the Scriptures, we have, we're unsettled. What is God going to do with places that are barren? What is God going to do with chaos? What's God going to do with the unfarmable, uninhabitable? And it's subtle, but notice the end of verse 2. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, I don't know what your imagination does with passages like this. If you imagine kind of like this ghost just kind of floating over the water. Um, again, this, this term in the Hebrew uh, for the word hovering um, might be translated fluttering like a mother bird uh, flutters or hovers over uh, her nest, her abode, her children. Hear what the Lord is saying here at, at the outset, is that there is chaos. There is discord. This world, is as, as, as good as it is, there is going to be brokenness in it. And it's going to feel unfarmable. It's going to feel uninhabitable. It's going to feel unmanageable. But at the same time, guess what? The very Spirit of God Himself is hovering. Like a mother bird over the nest, like it cares for its children. We already get a hint of the good news. As I guess what? There's a God who overcomes the darkness. There's a God who overcomes our chaos. And just as He did in creation, so too He does with you and me. I know our lives are not rosy. And our, our lives aren't up all, all together. Sometimes we feel like our families, our home, our work is uninhabitable and unfarmable. Guess what? There is God who with order and with beauty and with great care and with great preservation hovers over this world and cares for it, preserves it, protects it. And not just the trees, he doesn't just clothe the lily. He doesn't just feed this, the common sparrow. But you, day six, you who are the zenith, the pinnacle of creation, you who have his image, if he's going to care about those things, is he not going to care about you? Can he not bring order 
out of your chaos, pattern, beauty, liturgy. He can. He has, and He will. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank You again uh, for this story. Thank You again for all the care and all the thought uh, that went into um, the creation of this world and help us to see it as such. Help us to see Your hand in everything. And would that give us peace? Would that give us joy? And would that give us security? For we ask this in the matchless name of Christ who is our brother. Amen.